morning, River Rock Bible Church. How are you guys this morning? Really glad you guys are back with us this morning. If you're joining us for the first time or for the first time in a little while, we're picking up a series that we started five weeks ago. Uh, we started this series called Life Unlimited, and then in the middle, we did a series called Commission. And in that Commission series, we looked at the Great Commission, and we said, what is it that God has called us to do, and who is it that God has called us to be? And we looked at the Great Commission, which is to take the gospel to every man, woman, and child throughout Georgetown and to the ends of the earth. And so as we've done that, uh, we actually started with this Life Unlimited series because we want people to live a life unlimited. One of the things that we said during our commission series was that uh, there's nothing worse that the enemy can do than to make us question whether or not we have received salvation, right? He wants us to be limited in our thinking. He wants us to be limited in the way that we live our lives, and the only way to overcome that is through the power of the gospel, believing that you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, and not having to question that. And when you have that, then you can live a life unlimited. But in order for us to be free, to really be unlimited, to be about the gospel and to do the things that Jesus calls us to do, we believe that there's, there's something uh, in the financial realm that goes along with that that we have to be financially free to be able to pick up and go and to do what God tells us to do. We have the vision at River Rock Bible Church. We, we're working uh, with an, uh, five other churches in our association of churches to plant a church in Leander. And Dave Jamerson, I got to meet with him earlier this week. He's working on launching at Easter. He's up and running. So we've been a part of planting a church, but we have the vision that one day, hopefully soon, we would be able to have our own church planter and send out our own families to go and plant the gospel in another part of Georgetown or the greater Austin area, that we could see more people come to faith, that we could see more churches planted. We also have the vision that someday we would raise up a missionary from within our congregation and that we would be able to send them on mission to live full-time in a different country and they would be fully supported by River Rock Bible Church. Some of you perhaps may be part of that church plant team that goes with the church planter. And some of you may be, maybe one of you is that missionary. That God has put it on your heart. He's put a place in the world on your heart. He's put those people on your heart. And perhaps you are that missionary. And a big part of being able to say yes to God when he asks you is being financially free. Being free to say, you know what? I'm not tied to this job because I don't have any debt. I'm not tied to this house because I'm not upside down on the house because I own it flat out. I don't have a car that I'm upside down on. I can go. The Lord asked me to go and I can go. The Lord asked me to give and I can give. For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom, we have to be financially free. We want to live our life unlimited. We don't want to be limited by anything. So five weeks ago, we started this process uh, with Financial Peace University. How many of you are in a Financial Peace University class? That's most of us in here. It's, it's been amazing. Uh, one of the things that we came to realize as we went through this process is that a, as a church, we had a little over $1.8 million in debt. That's 78 adults going through FPU, $1.8 million. And that's just what you confess to, right? 
I'm sure there's some of you that didn't participate and some of you that maybe fudged the numbers a little bit, but $1.8 million, and our desire is to see that number go down drastically over the next few weeks. And we've already had stories of people paying off student loans, cars, furniture that they bought on credit, credit cards. God is moving in an amazing way, and his people are becoming more and more free to do and to go wherever and whatever it is he asks us to do. We decided as a church that we want to be weird. Not like Austin weird, because I know, keep Georgetown normal, right? Everybody, anybody ever been to Dukes, right? We got the t-shirt, keep Georgetown normal. But we want to be weird in the sense that we don't want to be like the rest of the world. Because there's a problem with the rest of the world in being normal. See, normal for the rest of the world, for the secular world, means believing that you will always have a car payment. Like, there will never be a time in my life when I don't have a car payment. I will always have credit card debt. I will always have this student loan that, as Dave Ramsey says, it's been hanging around so long that you've given it a name and it's now your pet. I would share my name, but it's church, so I can't share the name of my student loan here. We want to be weird. We, we don't want to be normal. Because when you look at what normal means in America, normal equals broke. Normal equals broke. Normal means not having any money in the bank, not having any savings. So if there's an emergency, your only option is to run it up on the credit card. Instead of being able to go and to save the way that God tells us to save, and we, hey, I got this covered. I can pay for this. I can pay cash. I can go on vacation and not have it follow me home and worry about the credit card bill coming. I can go out and buy the furniture that that my wife uh, really wants and really needs for the new house because we've saved up. We've got it. We pay cash for it. There's no bill coming. It's done. It's over with. Normal is broke, and, and here's why I think normal is broke and what leads to that in our society. We like stuff. Can I get an amen? Right? Dave Ramsey calls it stuff-itis. We suffer from stuff-itis. Hi, my name is Charlie, and I like stuff. That's where you say, hi, my name is... Some of you been in those meetings before? I guess I'm the only one. All right. We like stuff. We love stuff. And and there's this thing inside of us. I think it it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where we just want more. We're always left wanting more. And the more we get, the more we want. It's it's not enough uh, when when we do finally get the thing that we want. It's never enough. We find that it's it just never satisfied. I should have changed the, the music for the bumper this morning from Pink Floyd to a little bit of Rolling Stones. Anybody know what song I'm thinking of? I can't get no satisfaction. Thank you. Yeah, somebody out there listens to good music. All right, so, yeah, I can't get no satisfaction. No matter how much we fill our life with stuff, it's never enough. It never satisfies It never brings the joy that we think it's going to bring. And a lot of this is brought on by by the consumer mentality in the the society that we live in. Uh, We we heard this last week in our sessions that the average American sees over 3,000 commercial messages a day. 3,000 commercial messages. Kids that are born today will see over 1 million commercials before they reach age 20. That's a lot. And you know what the message is? You need what we've got, and you need it now. You need it, and you need it now. And so we buy into that. We're bombarded with that every single day, and we buy into this thing, this 
desire for stuff and that we've got to have it now. And so we go out and we, we can't wait two months rather than go out and work an extra job, mow a couple yards and work a little bit on the side and save up and pay cash for it. We just go out and we run it on the credit card because we need it and we need it now. A couple weeks ago, uh, we're sitting at home and the kids saw something on TV that they wanted or they wanted to do something. I don't remember what it was. Um, but we're sitting there and Bear says, you know, Daddy, I want this. I want to go do this. I said, son, that's not in the budget. Mommy and Daddy don't have money that, for that. Well, you just need to go to Title Max. I was like, all right, we're going to have a conversation about that. And I said, son, let me get some pennies out, and I'm going to give you five pennies, and now you give me seven back. Well, I don't have seven. Okay, you've got to go out and get a job. And you earned three pennies this week. You, now you owe me seven, but your groceries cost five. So you've got to pay me this, but that's okay. You don't have to pay me all right now because, you know, you still owe me four pennies, but you can just pay me six pennies next week. And so we go through this process a couple times, and he's like, Dad, you keep taking all my pennies. I said, I know. <laughs> what kind of people go to Title Max? Stupid people. Yeah, stupid people go to Title Max. And then Amanda says, why don't we say foolish? Foolish people go to Title Max. All right. So we explain to our kids, like this, this you know, you just, sometimes you've got to wait. You've got to save up. And it's crazy because we have so much stuff in our lives. Think about it. You're single. You go out. Do you get a one-bedroom apartment? No. You get a two-bedroom apartment. Why? I need the extra bedroom for my stuff. You go and you buy a house. You got a house with kids. You go, you buy one more bedroom than you actually need. Why? We got to have a place for our stuff. And then what happens? I love this. We have a container store, which has made its entire business on you not having enough space for your stuff. So they sell you organizers for all your stuff. And then this one really blows my mind. You run out of space in your house with the extra bedroom for all your stuff, so you go get a storage unit so you can put all your stuff in it. And you pay money for your stuff to just sit there. That's ridiculous. But we love stuff. We love stuff, and we're never satisfied. There's, there's uh, Gary Thomas wrote the book Authentic Faith, and he says this. He talks about how the only cure for what we're experiencing, this consumer mentality, our stuff-itis, is contentment. And he says contentment is nothing more than soul rest. It is satisfaction, peace, assurance, and a sense of well-being that is cultivated by pursuing the right things instead of more power, more money, more pleasure, and more control. We seek the abundance of grace and peace. And this is only found in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. We have to seek him. We have to to find soul rest. Let me ask you this morning, is your soul at rest? Is your soul at rest? By and large, I'm willing to bet the answer is no. Overwhelmingly, we have to answer no to that. We're thinking about the raise that we didn't get. We're thinking about that computer that we want next or, or that electronic thing that we have to go get or the new car. And if we're not thinking about that, we're thinking about the raise that our neighbor just got, the new computer that they just got, the new house that they just got, the new car that they just got. We are never finding ourselves at soul rest. It's so difficult to find ourselves being content. This morning, we're going to look at a, uh, a passage in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, and uh, Paul is writing a letter to the people of 
Philippi where he had planted a church. He'd been there. He'd ministered to the people. And he writes this, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, nor I have, uh, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance I'm in. I know both how to have a little and how to have a lot. In any and all circumstance, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. All right, so a little bit about this letter. So Paul had, had planted this church in Philippi. He'd been a part of starting it. He'd ministered to the people there. He had taught them there. And now he's in prison in Rome. Think about that for just a second. These verses cut like a knife through our stuffitis, don't they? And now put on top of that the, re- the realization that Paul is in prison. He has nothing, and he's writing these verses. He's writing these verses about how content he is. This is a man who once had power, prestige, respect. He had all of those things. And he's had all of those things taken away, taken away from him. And now he says, you know what? In Jesus Christ, I have everything that I need. There's nothing more and nothing less that I need than Jesus Christ. My soul is content. And the people of Philippi, they send in this care package. Back then, you didn't get to sit in a prison cell and uh, you know, get your workout and get your um, cable TV and air conditioning. Whatever, when you were in jail, you didn't get three square meals a day. You were reliant on people to send you food, to bring you food. You still had to pay your own way. And so the people of Philippi send Paul this care package and they say, Paul, you've, you've helped us so much. You've cared for us. You've ministered to us. You taught us. You told us about Jesus. So we want to bless you with this. And Paul sends him this letter back and he says, hey guys, I just want you to know how much I appreciate this, but you have to understand this was not necessary. I have everything I need. Thank you. I appreciate it. It blesses me. It is a blessing. But you've got to understand this material stuff is not what's important. I have everything I need in Jesus Christ, and I'm prepared to give even more. Paul is content. When's the last time you felt that kind of contentment? What does that kind of contentment do to someone? Think about that. What would that kind of contentment mean to you? What would it mean to you to find yourself in a place where you could say, I have everything I need. I don't need anything more, and I don't need anything less. I believe that it takes us to amazing levels of faith and insurance. We often hear this verse quoted, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And what we often forget is that Paul makes this statement from prison. He has nothing. He's had everything taken from him. And if a man sitting in prison with absolutely nothing can say, I'm content, Shouldn't we be content? I mean, this man is suffering for the gospel, for telling people about Jesus. He's now suffering. Yet he says, I've got all that I need. I don't need anything more, and I don't anything, need anything less. So what does it mean to be content? What does contentment look like? How do we get to that place where Paul is, where we can get over our stuff-itis? 
And we're not concerned with that next newest, biggest, brightest, and shiniest thing. How do we get there? Well, I think first, we have to understand that contentment means trusting God. And specifically, contentment means trusting God and not visa, right? Contentment is when you say, God, I believe that you have given me everything that you want me to have right now. And if there's something else that you want me to have, God, I believe you will provide a way for me to save up that I won't have to run out and run up a bunch of debt just because I want it and I want it now. Unfortunately, there's a lot of grown men at Best Buy who are like that five-year-old in the grocery store. Believe me, I've got, four, I've got three uh, kids that are about to be five years old in the next two weeks. I've got three of them. So I know what it's like. Actually, I should say my wife knows what it's like to have them in the store and they want something and they want it now. There have been many trips where we were like, all right, we're just leaving the grocery store. We're not going to do this in front of everybody. But they're grown men. But honey, I need the 50-inch plasma. I need it now. 18 months, no interest. Come on, we can pay it off. And then they never pay it off. Act like babies. We're not content. We, we trust God instead of visa. And some people, you know, God's word tells us that we are supposed to save. We're supposed to save for, for these emergencies that come up. We're supposed to save for the things that we need or that we want. And most people do this. This is what most people do. They say, I'm just trusting God to supply my needs according to his riches. Right? And they take that Philippians 4.19. If you look a little bit lower, that verse is there. And they say, I'm just trusting God to supply all my needs. But here's, here's the thing. I got to think about how I'm going to say this. God doesn't always help stupid. Right? Believe me, I know. I've been there. You make a stupid decision and God doesn't always help you. Right? God's word tells us that we're supposed to save. In, in Proverbs 20, 21, this is what it says. Precious treasure and oil are in the dwelling of a wise person, but a foolish man consumes them. This means that wise people save up. Foolish people spend everything they make. Really foolish people spend even more than they make. God's word tells us that we're supposed to save. And if we're going to trust God... It doesn't start with trusting him to provide with our finances. It starts with believing his word and putting it into practice. God, I trust that your word is true. God, I trust that your word is wise. I'm going to believe it and I'm going to apply it to my life, not just in my finances, but every area. And this isn't to say that God can't help you when you make a mistake, because the Lord knows he's helped me when I've done stupid stuff. But if we would just follow his word, we would find that we have more than enough. We have one family here at River Rock Bible Church that a few weeks ago we were going through the lesson of cutting up the credit card and, and man, you could tell in, in community group that they were wrestling back and forth with do we do it, do we, do we, do we jump off the cliff or, or do we just dip our toe in this Dave Ramsey stuff and I want to show you this video that the wife made. So I just called and made the final payment on our credit card. It's completely paid in full and I'm so excited because now Blake and I are no longer a slave to that lender. And while I was on the phone, after I paid it, I asked them to go ahead and close out the account, which I was very kind of anxious about because I've always viewed that credit card as our lifeline in case we need something. And so it kind of just made me feel better knowing we had that. And um, I was reminded last night with um, at our community group that 
God is in control and he always provides for us and there's no reason why he would stop doing that now and he's our lifeline and I don't need to have a credit card to feel safe and secure. And so as nervous as this makes me, I am going to cut up our credit card and we've closed out the account. So, oh man. All right, there we go. No more credit card. No more charging things. We are no longer a slave to that lender. And I am so excited to keep going with this and pay off things more. So I want to challenge all of you who have those credit cards and you haven't taken that step yet to cut it up. Just remind yourself, God is in control and he always provides and he always will. So do it. Go cut up your credit cards. Let's give it up. Yeah, Cammie Reynolds, man, she must have an amazing community group and community group leader that would inspire such devotion. I don't know who, who that community group leader could be. Hey, if, if you have uh, a story like that or something that God has done through FPU, man, please make a video of it, post it for everybody to see. We want to celebrate that with you. That is a huge step. That is a huge step. This is someone who's, who's saying, look, I'm trusting God and not Visa. If something comes up, I'm going to trust that God's plan for my finances is going to work. And here's the funny thing about following God's plan. When you follow God's plan, especially in your finance, finances, it works when the stock market's up and it works when it's down. God's plan for your finances works when you get a raise and it works when you get laid off. God's plan works the first step in finding contentment is in trusting God completely, trusting Him in every area. Second thing, contentment means, contentment means being thankful for what you have. I have a really good friend. He's a a much wiser man than I am, and uh, he says this. He says, contentment is the realization of how much God's already given you. It's when you realize how much God's already given you. And you look around and you say, you know what? This is enough. This is enough. Have you ever noticed what happens to your attitude when you see a neighbor or a friend that gets a nice brand new car? Your car's probably not even that old, but all of a sudden the paint looks faded. The interior's dull. There's cracks in the windshield and you're pretty sure it's making a weird sound that you just noticed. And in order to fix that, you've got to go get the new car. Because that'll make me happy. I got to go out and get the new thing. But contentment is the realization that, hey, we, we already have everything we need. When we find ourselves in this situation and we realize, God, you've given me transportation to and from work. Yeah, it's got manual locks, manual windows. The heater doesn't work. But it gets me from point A to point B. It gets me where I need to go. God, thank you so much for providing this transportation. When we find that contentment, when we find that we're thankful for the stuff that God has already given us, then we can, we can find that com- contentment. Philippians 4.12, Paul says this again. He says, I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. Man. When we find ourselves wanting that next thing, wouldn't it be great if we would just stop and repeat this verse to ourselves? Say, God, we've got everything we need right here. I've got everything I need. 
Contentment means trusting God. Contentment means being thankful for what you have. And here's the last thing. Contentment means giving generously in all circumstances. Giving generously in all circumstances. Here's the thing about giving. When you give, it demonstrates that, God, I'm trusting you with the rest. God, I'm giving this portion back to you because I'm trusting you with this amount over here. I'm trusting that this is more, more than enough, that you've given me everything. And the other part of that is that it does something inside of us. When we see God provide, when we see his hand at work in us, uh, it changes our mindset. Even if we have a little, even if we have just a little, and we give that little amount, it changes our mindset because now we go from just being a receiver of what God has given us to now we're a participant in a relationship with God. We're participating in that relationship saying, God, I'm handing this over to you and I'm trusting you with this bucket over here. And the funny thing about us is, especially as Americans, you know, we, we hear that word tithe and we grab our wallet and we shove it further down in our pocket or we hide it in our purse. But tithe, 10%, very biblical idea. Uh, uh, the funny thing about it is, you know, my wife and I started giving regularly 10% a number of years ago. And now it's like a game that we play to see how much more we can give. Because God has already provided so abundantly in, this er- in, in the other areas. But unfortunately, what we do most often is we kind of tip God, right? We're like, hey, God, I got this little bit extra. I'm just going to give you this little tip. Thanks. Thanks for the great service. And we tip God instead of saying, hey, God, I'm going to trust you first. I'm going to put you first, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to watch you provide with the rest. And when we give, we go from, from just being around God and being talking about God to being in a relationship with him where we're relying on him for every single thing that we have. And it's amazing. Trust me. Uh, here's, here's the thing about, about giving and giving generously, whether that's to the church or somewhere else. Um, back in January, Amanda and I realized we need to make a little lifestyle change. Um, we usually eat pretty well, and I work out pretty regularly, but then, like, November comes, and the holidays come, and it's like, well, I'm going to eat whatever I want, and since I'm going to eat whatever I want, I may as well not work out because it doesn't matter anyway, and the waistline just kind of goes like this, right, or like this. And so in January, it was actually December when we realized it, but we figured we weren't going to start until after New Year's anyway. So we said, hey, let's make some changes. Let's change the way we eat. Let's Let's change the way uh, we sit around the house and do some exercise. And, and we started out. We started out right away, and we saw some results. But, but here's the thing, and I've done this before. I, I've gone from 198 pounds to 150 pounds in four months and then gained it all back again. But in order to stay at that level, what I found is that it took a long, long time. It took commitment. It wasn't just an immediate, hey, I ate good today. I lost 20 pounds right? No, it took weeks before we started seeing results. Sometimes as you get older, it takes months before you start seeing results. I'm getting to that point where I'm like, hey, this didn't used to take as long to get back down to pre-Christmas weight. And now it's taking a little bit longer, and it's the same thing with our giving. It's not going to happen right away. You may not see the results right away. You may not feel the results right away, but I guarantee if you will stick with it, 
if you'll give it a few months, then you're going to feel different. You're going to see God providing in ways that you perhaps didn't see before. And I'm not preaching health, wealth, theology here. I'm not saying, hey, if you put 100 in the plate, that God's going to give you 200. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I do believe that God blesses us when we're faithful. And it's very biblical to say that when we, when we are faithful with what God gives us, he often gives us more. Now, that's not always material possession. When we're faithful with what God gives us, sometimes he gives us more responsibility in a different area because we've already proven that we're faithful over here. Are you going to trust God completely? Are you going to trust God with your finances? Are you going to demonstrate your thankfulness? Are you going to give generously? We've got a world that's, that's teaching us the opposite of contentment. They're teaching us to go get our stuff and go get it now. But God's word says, hey, find contentment in me. Trust me. Be thankful for what you have. And I, I think our biggest problem is our nearsightedness. We can't see beyond this week. We can't see beyond the next two weeks. We don't have a long-term vision for where God is going. And so we come up with these short-term solutions. But let me tell you, short-term solutions lead to long-term discomfort. Short-term solutions lead to long-term discomfort. Going out and buying that thing because you want it and you've got to have it now is going to be a mistake that's going to follow you for a long time. But long-term solutions, long-term solutions may mean short-term discomfort, but in the long run, it's better for you. It's better for you, and God wants what's best for you. I want us to think this morning about what God has given you. What has God given you? What has he entrusted to you? How has God blessed you? And now I want you to think about your stuff, because let's be honest, the thing that is standing in between us and contentment and that fully content relationship with God is our stuff. Think about what your stuff is. What is it that stands between you and contentment? As we move to our take two this morning, I, I just want you to think about what is keeping you, what stuff is keeping you from finding contentment in Christ and Christ alone this morning. And I'd encourage you to write that down in where it says, uh, Take two. What, what is God saying to you? What is that stuff? And, and then where it says, I will, write down what you're going to do about it this week. Because God's desire is for you to find joy and humility and contentment in him, not in your stuff. Let's take two.